Let's open with a word of prayer. So Father, we thank you we can gather tonight in the name of Jesus. We ask you to bless this time as we share your word together. Father, open our hearts and minds to hear what you have for each one of us, that we might take your word and apply it in our lives, that we might walk in the victory that's already been purchased for us through Christ Jesus. And so we just ask your blessing upon this time. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just so you know, I got some of these books if you're interested. Um, they're just the um, syllabus for the study we're going through. Um, they're $7, and so if you're interested in one, just get a hold of me. Also, um, we were scheduled to have a work day on Saturday, and uh, I wasn't, I'm not going to be able to make it, and so I talked to Jake, and so we canceled because he was the only other name on the list. So, so anyway, we, if anybody was thinking about doing that, or you talk to somebody that's been thinking about it, just tell them, stop thinking about it. And so we'll go ahead and uh, get into the Word. So tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, we can know that God exists. And like I said at the very beginning of this, um, we look at, we're going to be looking at some really basic principles and so forth concerning God existing. You know, next week we're going to be looking at the Trinity and so forth. So we're going to be looking at those things. And because uh, I just think it's important for us to get them established in our heart because of the, well, really the attack that's coming upon the Word of God in the day that we're in. And so it's important for us to have an understanding of Scripture, not just uh, an intellectual understanding of the Scripture, but uh, a working understanding of it as well. And so tonight we're going to be, as I said, we're going to be talking about um, we can know that God exists. Um, last week, well, well, that's what we're going to be. Uh, how do we prove that God, that God exists? And last week, um, we looked at um, who God was, and we looked at his attributes and characteristics and so forth. And so some of those were mercy, grace, he's gracious, uh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful, uh, forgiving, holy, just, loving, eternal, and he's sovereign. And so lo that's looking at his, his attributes, his characteristics. And so tonight, like I said, we're going to look at how we can know that he exists. And it's probably a question, you know, if you uh, share with people very often, that's, or listen to people, that's one of the questions that they ask. They want to know, well, how do you know? Well, you know, the interesting thing about it is, is, uh, you know, I was talking with somebody about it this afternoon uh, because they were talking about an individual they were sharing with that was very intellectual. And uh, <clears throat> I don't have that problem, um, you know, because you have to have intellect in order to qualify for that. You know, but, but oftentimes the problem with people that try to approach it intellectually is is that they want everything to be proved. And you say, well, you know, as Christians, we ought not to be naive. No, we shouldn't. But the thing that we have to understand as Christians is that we, we walk by faith. Um, we don't, we're not moved by what we see. We're moved by what we know. And what we know is what the Word of God says. And so that's where 2 Corinthians 5, 7 comes in. Because we're not moved um, by the circumstances around us. In other words, even our intellect. We don't believe what we believe intellectually. We believe it by faith. And what that requires then is that we get to the point to where we believe that God exists, and not only that God exists, but we believe in the significance and the importance of his word. And so, uh, again, we walk by faith and, uh, and not by sight. And it's by faith that we're able to prove that God exists. You know, we may not be able to put, our, put physically, um, grab something physically to prove it, 
But if we experience Jesus Christ in our heart, we begin to walk by faith, we know it. Uh, there's a knowing that nobody can ever convince us of, everything, of anything different than that. In Hebrews 11:6, it says that we believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We believe he exists. And again, that's based on faith. It's not based on something that we've learned other than what we've seen in the Word of God. It's not based on our intellect. It's based on faith. It's believing that what God has told us in his Word is true. And so, so everything that we believe then is based on the Word. And so going back to the very beginning again in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God. And so we believe that God has always been eternally God in the future, but he's eternal past. He's always been. And so we believe that God is. And because we believe he is, we walk by faith. And so <clears throat> I don't know if you remember in the uh, first lesson that we did, we talked about um, our belief in God, that we, we, we presuppose or we suppose or we believe that this to be true. And oftentimes, especially intellectual people, they'll approach the scripture from the standpoint of trying to disprove it. Well, we, we believe that it's real. They, they come from a, a presupposed position that God isn't real, so now you've got to prove it to us. Well, you know, we, we need to understand something. We don't have to prove anything. God is God. We don't have to prove that he's God. He's God because he is God. And so we approach it from that position, knowing that he is who he says that he is, and he can do what he says he's going to do, and he's done what he said he would do. And so, um, so we see that he exists, that he is the Holy One of God. And he created all of the universe. We're going to talk about this a little bit tonight, not a whole lot. But you know... <clears throat> Isn't it interesting, um, uh, the, the attack upon Genesis and upon God as being our creator God, that he created all things. And one of the, the theories that's used is the Big Bang theory. <clears throat> now, I'm probably more shallow than most of you, you know, but periodically I'll get on YouTube and I'll watch them blow up buildings. <laughs> but you know what? They, they take this, these, these blasts and they blow up this building. And after that big bang, there's absolutely nothing but a mess. Isn't it interesting that they say everything as intricate as everything is in this universe? You know, from, a, from the intricacies of a human being to an ant. The, the solar system, the universe as we see it. You know, we, we look out at this time of the year and everything is, is just so beautiful. You know, I, I mean, I know a lot of people think Iowa is boring. Um, this time of the year, I just think Iowa is beautiful where the crops are, are reaching uh, that point of harvest. And, the, you know, we were driving um, back from uh, someplace the other day and and the beans are beginning to turn and you see the different colors and so forth. It's absolutely beautiful. But just think, <clears throat> now I don't know about you, it would take for me more faith to believe in the Big Bang Theory than it does to believe in Creator God. Because their theory is that everything that we see was a result of that Big Bang and everything proceeded out of that. Well, <clears throat> Any explosion that I've ever seen produces just the opposite of that. Any explosion that you see in the solar system right now is not um, creating another solar system or whatever it is. It's, it, it's destructive. And uh, we have our people that trace all those things. Why? Because of the explosions, how could it affect us? And if it affects us, it's going to be in the negative. It's not going to be in the positive. You know, it's just like with, with creation when they talk about evolution and, and uh, what is it if you grow a third arm? Um, 
A what? Mutation. mutation. Yeah, yeah, weird. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but you know what? There are mutations. But they're, they're never for the good. It's always for the evil. It's always destructive in every way. And so the, the theory behind evolution, what we can look at, it makes absolutely no sense because it goes totally contrary to, to what they try to tell us. They call us naive. You know, to think of all these things that happened randomly. Um, you know, before he retired, you know, Dr. Thompson was my uh, dentist for years and years. And, and Dr. Thomas Thompson, very intellectual. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah, very intellectual. But, you know, <clears throat> he was one of them that, that gave me the, the argument against evolution because he talked about the fact. He, he began to, I'm, I'm not going to go into it because I didn't understand anything he was saying. <laughs> But he began to talk about the, in, the, 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 the um, interests, what's the word that I want? The, 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 the specific things about the eyeball and what's involved in the eye so that an eye can see. And the very fact that, you know, the eye wasn't, didn't end up in the middle of our forehead or in the sole of our foot or something, but it ended up right where it needed to be. And not only that, there is one identical to it, created in the same place in the front of our foreheads or heads where we can see where we're going and not run into things because it's not in the back of our head. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, and, and to think that all of that happened randomly? No, no, no. I mean, creation itself proves that there had to be an intelligent being that was behind everything that was done, that was behind creation. And thank God, we know that intelligent being. We know him as Father God. We know him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know him as the Holy Spirit. I just say that because next week we're going to be looking at the Trinity. But we see him as the all-powerful creation, creator God. That's the one whom we serve. And that's the one that's being spoken of in Genesis 1-1 when it says, in the beginning, God. He created all these marvelous things. Just a couple of scriptures in Psalms 19-1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You know, <clears throat> this is an interesting thing, you know, Montana is known as, uh, you know, their, their motto is kind of the big sky or whatever. And years back I went, and you know, I never understood that. But years back I went to Don Hicks's pastor and church up in Freud, Montana. And so I went up there and we went out and one afternoon we were out in one of the areas. And you look up and all you see is sky. It's absolutely magnificent. And then you go out there at night and there is, there is absolutely nothing to block the sky. You understand what I'm saying? In Montana, there is absolutely nothing to block the sky. You can, you can drive for miles and miles and find absolutely nothing to block the sky. But it was just, it was amazing. It was marvelous. And it just, what does it do? It just demonstrates the magnificence of God and of his creation. In, uh, Paul talks about, in, in, in Romans, the first chapter, he talks about um, creation and how it uh, longs for God and so forth. That's, that's what we see in creation. We see God's marvelous work. You know, and so that's kind of the scriptural background of what we're talking about this evening. Um, the next section, the historical and uh, I'll ap apologetics part of the background. Um, you know, really what it comes down to, like I already said, we just need to look around us and we see. We see how magnificent 
his creation is. And again, one, what his creation really tells us is how there has to be. There has to be a being, a creator behind all of this. Otherwise, what we see, there's absolutely no way that it could be designed so perfectly as it is with God. Again, I got ahead of myself. It's in that section where I was supposed to talk about the Big Bang, but <clears throat> I got such a Big Bang out of the Big Bang, I couldn't <laughs> wait to get banged. So, uh, so anyway, the, the, this universe that we live in is extremely complex. You think about our, our physical bodies. Our physical bodies, when God created them, he created them so that they would replenish, that they would restore. Um, you know, from the get-go, it was never God's intent uh, for man to die. Man was created to live. But it was sin. And the corruption and the corrosion that we see in the world is a result of, of sin. It isn't a failure on the part of God. If we look at it, and we look at it from the standpoint there was a failure on the part of God, if there was a failure on the part of God, it was because he wanted to give man freedom of choice. He didn't want us to be a bunch of robots just moving around, rolling, you know, moving around. He wanted us to serve him and love him and uh, out of our own choice. Not because we have to, but because we want to. You know, it's like I tell the guys on Monday night, you know, you can go to hell if you want to. That's your choice. God won't stop you. I happen to think you're kind of stupid if you do. But it's, but it's our choice. He gave us that choice. And so we can choose, because really that's what it comes down to. We can choose to believe the Word of God. You know, quoting from my favorite old-time preacher, Smith Wigglesworth. The Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. But you know what it begins with? It begins by us choosing to believe what the Word of God says. And the ironic thing about it is, is the more we choose to believe what the Word says, the more realistic it becomes. You know, if you, if you look at so much of what's going, around, going on around us, and this is why we spend so much time talking about this, the attacks that's coming against the church where it really begins is the attack on the book of Genesis. Because in reality, if we, can, um, if we can discredit, if man can discredit the book of Genesis, the rest of the Bible ceases to have the same power. Because if I can't believe in a creator God, why should I believe in a healing God? If I can't believe that God is, was eternal past and he created everything that we see, why, why should we believe that, that that same God is a God that's able to bring healing into our life? Well, the reason that God is able to bring healing into our life is because he created us in the first place. And so we need to be willing to yield him. And so this is where we see the attack coming against the church, and this is where it all began. You know, I just want to mention a few names that you're all familiar with, but if you stop and you think about these individuals and you look at what they... Uh, the what their message was, it was basically attacking what we're talking about here tonight. Uh, Charles Darwin, you know, he's referred to many times as the father of evolution. You know, it's interesting, he wasn't, wasn't an atheist, but his grandfather was. And so much of what he got was, was based on those beliefs that he got from, from his father. Uh, Darwin's idea of, of evolution has changed the course of human history. Think about that. That one man, that one position that he took has had a huge input upon man. You know, the attacks that we see upon the Word of God today all stem from that. Karl Marx, you know, we, we think of him as a communist or whatever, but, you know, most of the world thinks of him as a uh, one of the great thinkers of the world, of, of history. And, you know, he was the one that made the statement that um, religion is the opium of the masses. 
In other words, he, he basically believed that religion was nothing more than an expression of underlying psychological, oh no, I'm ahead of myself, um, imposed <clears throat> the impotence of human mind to deal with the uh, occurrences or the things that we can't understand. Basically, what he, what he believed was the only person of purpose for religion is it allows us to give an excuse for the things that we can't understand. But that's not the truth. It gives us the truth. It gives us what we need. Then there was Freud, considered by some uh, psychology's most, uh, psychiatry's most famous figure believed that religion was nothing more than expression of underlying psychological uh, neurosis and distress. In other words, we got head issues. But you know what? The thing that I found, the world is insane. And finding, Christ, finding Christ, finding Christianity, finally brought some sanity to the world. It's, it's insane to put poison in your body. But we find a world that does that constantly. It's insane to, to partake of things that affect your mind so that you do things that you would never do when you're thinking right. The world is doing that all the time. I saw on the news this morning that you know, New York is finally investigating vaping, vaporing, whatever it is, you know, sucking in smoke, you know, and because, you know, there, there's five states that have outlawed it because of deaths. Now, and of course, they, they, they said, you know, what they're looking at outlawing, outlawing is not it in general, but just the flavors, the fruit flavors. And the guy says, well, that'll destroy our business because that's 90% of our business. So <clears throat> you suck a poisonous smoke into your body so that you can have the flavor of an uh, orange. Why not eat an orange? I mean, people will even squeeze it for you. You don't even have to chew. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. You know, some of the things that the things that we used to do before Christ, it was insane. But we find Christ and we find a lifestyle and it brings us to that point of sanity. Um, Madrin O'Hare, you know, who basically got prayer out of the schools in 63, believe that religion has caused more misery in all of human mankind, in every stage of human history, than any other single idea. The only thing that I can bring to her defense is there's a whole lot of things that have been done in this world in the name of God that God had absolutely nothing to do with. It wasn't Christianity. It might have been man in their attempt to use God, to use religion. But um, it wasn't gotten. We've got more along those lines. But let's just get into the, into the lesson for tonight. And so we're going to begin in Genesis. And we're going to read the first two verses of the book of Genesis. And it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. You know, and kind of going through the process that we've been going through in, in, in studying these scriptures, you know, who's the character? Of course, we know that this whole, it's talking about God, that in the beginning, God. So he's the reference. Um, some of the key words that we see in, in this is uh, we see that um, he was, the, the Spirit was hovering, that God created 
God created it. And the Spirit hovered over it. And again, I bring that up because next week we're going to be talking about the Trinity. And it's interesting, it may not be used the terminology, but throughout Genesis, we see the, we see the Trinity. We see him working in unison with, with one another. You know, I remember years back when we first moved to Wapaka, Wisconsin, there was a, an individual that was putting in our telephones and, and I get home from the from work, whatever, wherever I was, and, and uh, Pastor Becky says, get in there and get him out of here. He's been here for hours. And he's basically saying, I'm not saved because I've not been baptized in the name of Jesus only. And as is a United Pentecostal, it's Jesus only. And they believe that everything of God is just a different representation of Jesus. And so when you're water baptized, you're baptized in the name of Jesus only. If you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you're really not baptized. It's baptized in the name of Jesus only. So he said, get him out of here. And so I go, go into the bedroom and he's still hooking stuff up. And so I get talking with him about, you know, and so he just starts right in, you know, on the whole thing. And so I said, so, so you don't believe in the Trinity. You don't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. No, they're, they're one. And I said, so then I need you to explain something to me. And he said, okay. So when Jesus was baptized, we have Jesus in his physical body, correct? Yes. And he was baptized in water, yes. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of doves. Is that right? Yeah. And I says, then heard a voice from heaven, which was Father God, which spoke out and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Explain something to me. Was Jesus a ventriloquist and he threw his voice to heaven or, or what, what's the deal here? And of course, well, I, don't, I don't know, I have to ask somebody. And he was done. Got done in a hurry, real, real big hurry at that point. But see, we, we, see that, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost working side by side with one another. We see them independently, but we see them working together because they are one. And so we see these uh, things. And so what, what kind of literature is this? Well, it's history. It's historical. You know, and that's what's so exciting about the Bible. We have, we have poetry. Uh, we have history. Uh, we have uh, prophetic, which is speaking of the future. You know, whatever your type of literature that you enjoy, it's covered in the Bible. And so we get, we get all of it within the scriptures. Remember, we, we were talking about um, figurative language and so forth that we should look through. Do, do we see any in this? Uh, particular passage. Well, we, we see something. It's really not figurative, but it, it, it brings a point. In the first four verse, it says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And so we, we use it as a figure of speech today, only we may, we, we may use a, a, a different terminology. We talk about, you know, <clears throat> being healed or being touched from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. What does that mean? That means my, my entire being is influenced. My entire being is touched. And so when he's talking about the heavens and the earth, he's talking about everything that is around us, all of it, from the largest to the smallest. Every element, every, every cell in this universe was created by our almighty God and we can put our trust and we can put our confidence in him. And so he's eternal, and, uh, and that's self-evident by the things that we look at here. In Exodus, the third chapter, <clears throat> this is talking about Moses. And, uh, you know, Moses was insecure. And so he's, it says, then Moses said to God, because God says, you know, to Moses, you're going to deliver my people from bondage. And so Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, 
What is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, and he's, he's inquiring, but I have a feeling, now this is my feeling, I have a feeling that there's just a tinge of sarcasm, that, sarcasm that's going along with it. The God of our fathers has sent me to you. What shall I say? Well, God tells Moses what to say. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Notice he gives his name as the I am. 15th verse. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. There we see that forever again. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. This is my name forever. And notice what he says at the very end of that. He says, and this is how I'm supposed to be known throughout all the generations. The I am. It's not the I was or the I will be. He's the I am. You know, you have a need today, he's the I am. I am your healing, I am your prosperity, I am your deliverer, I am your savior, he is it. God is the I am of whatever it is that we might need in our life. Now let's, let's look at this portion of scripture. This is Jesus, they've just um, finished up um, communion in the upper room with his disciples. And, and so um, they're going to the garden. So verse one, it says, then Jesus, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples and crossed the brook Kindron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having proceeded, uh, uh, procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to, him, said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. And so when we, we look at this, once again, let's, let's use our little process. You know, who, who are the characters that are involved here? Well, we know there's Jesus. We know there's the 11 disciples that had been with him um, at the feast. We know that Judas comes and he's got soldiers with him and he's got, you know, uh, individuals, Pharisees and so forth from the temple. They're with him. And, and he's there, Judas is there to betray him. But notice Jesus, what he says in the fourth verse, uh, he knew what they were there for. You see, he's all-knowing. He, he wasn't caught by surprise. And the thing about it is, is I, I guess he could have gone and hid. How would they know where he was? Because he would know where they were going every time because he's knowing. So he demonstrates the characteristics of God. And so he knows what's going to happen to him. And he says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, he already knew that that's what they were there for knew that Judas was there to betray him. And what did he say? He says, I am he. Now this is interesting. Um, is anybody reading the New King James Bible? So, are you there? 18, 5, and 6. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, yours says, I am he. But what about your he? Capital. But what else? Red. Red. Is it in italics? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So italics means that it's not in the original language. That was added for clarification. <coughs> Let me give you a little clue here uh, with your translations. Now, I'm not criticizing. I read the New King James. Okay. But italics means that this word has been added for clarification. And most of the other Bibles, they may not have it in italics, but what they do is they have it, they have a footnote. And in the footnote, what it says is that he is not in the original Greek. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am. And so what Jesus, <clears throat> he's either God or he's a heretic. It's one or the other. It can't be both. If he, isn't, if he isn't God, what he said at that point, he took the position of God. He took the name of God and he used that name. And so if Jesus isn't God, then like I said, he's a heretic because he's trying to take the position of God. But we know that he, that he is God. But then notice what happens. When Jesus said to them, I am not I am he, because he had the same thing there. I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Why? Because of the authority. You know, remember, Moses on the mount couldn't look upon I am, couldn't look upon God, because at that point in time, it would have obliterated him. But here we have Jesus, who is all man and all God, took on the form of God, or took on the form of man, set aside his deity, as it says in Philippians, and walked on the earth as a man. But even as a man, there was so much God in him that when he spoke his name, I am, the soldiers and those around, they fell back. They fell to the ground because of the might that was in him. We serve the great I am. You know, we call him Messiah, we call him Jesus, but he's the I am. He's, he's part of that, that Trinity head. He's the, he's the second person of the Trinity, and he deserves that, that position. You know, we, 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 I don't know if we look at it tonight or not. We'll see as we go along. But, but you know, in, in, in John, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and what do we know about Jesus? Jesus is the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, when God said, let there be light, the God, Jesus, was the Word that was sent forth. Then we saw how the Holy Spirit was hovering, how God hovered over the earth, and all things were created in Him and through Him and by him. Let's go on to um, Romans, the first chapter. Would you just explain back again that I am he and the, the italics? Okay. Just, yes, just one more time. Okay. Um, if you go back to the original, okay. which would be the Greek in this case, um, he is not in the Greek in the, the original Greek text. In the original Greek text, what it would say is, I am. And it stopped there. But we see this oftentimes in the scripture. What they'll do is they'll, they'll add words, and they add the words for, for clarification. We see it other places where they, they've done it as well. They'll add words for, for clarification, and, and generally, it's not going to change the meaning of it. You know, but in certain instances, when they, when they add a word, you know, and that's why when you're reading through your translation and you see those italics and so forth, you know, check out, you know, usually they're going to be saying something in the margin 
as to why they've put, in that, put that word in italics. And so it's important to understand that because it may not change everything, but on the other hand, it can. You know, <clears throat> for example, in the uh, Jehovah's Witness Bible, where, the, where, where, where it says in the scripture, in the original, it says that Jesus is God. What they add is just one little letter. They add A. Jesus is a God. And so what that signifies, what they're saying then, is that Jesus isn't the God. Jesus is a God. Because, you know, When, when you go back to 1 John, one of the things that it tells in 1 John, what's, what's significant, what, what reveals whether or not a religion or a teaching is false, is whether or not they'll recognize that Jesus came in the flesh. And so why is that important that we recognize that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was born of virgin, that he was, that he, because if we don't recognize that and see that he always was, he's not really God. He's a small g God at that point. But he's not a small g God. He's the big G God. And so you see that throughout scripture where, where those words can be turned around. And so, you know, uh, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, Smith, who or whoever it was that, that that wrote their Bible, he just took the liberty to add a there. Well, we don't have that flexibility. In fact, it tells in Romans, or not in Romans, in Revelation, at the closing of the book, that uh, we are not to add to or take away from. Now, our Bible translators, when they added the he. I don't believe they were trying to add to the scripture. I believe they were trying to get it to flow better. They were trying to make it clear, easier to understand. When they did that, they didn't have the realization that they were really changing the, the impact of that verse. And so that's what you'll see in, in, you know, throughout the scripture where words can be changed. Yeah, we won't go any further with that. That help you out? That take care of that? Yes, yes. Thank you. Thanks for asking. And you know, I, I'm I'm just a I, I'm a I'm not a very good Bible study leader. You know, and so if you have a question or whatever, interrupt me. You know, and you might have to throw something at me, but but do it. You know, because um, I want you to. Just nothing too heavy. <laughs> so, yes. What? Why didn't they capitalize the E? Well, <clears throat> you know what's interesting? I, I struggle with that depending on the different translations um, because um, some of the translations, everything that is remotely identified with deity is capitalized. Um, you know, my, my New King James is pretty much that way. This is... Um, the English version and so there's certain words even as I'm going through it in my thinking I would have capitalized it you know and when they're making reference to the word if they're they're making reference to the word identifying with deity then they capitalize it but then at other times they don't capitalize it you know when I'm talking about the word I always capitalize it you know in the same way that I capitalize the B of Bible, I capitalize uh, the W in word. And so um, that's preference within the uh, people doing the, you know, um, translation. In fact, I would capital, capitalize the A of M as well. In fact, I would capitalize I-A-M. So that there would be no doubt that I believe that this is talking about 
the I am. Huh? Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's when it's just making reference to, they don't. But when it's, you know, speaking directly to him. But the King James, New King James, they capitalize the hymns, I believe. You know, so that they can sing, be sung more clearly. You know, okay. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodly and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You know, <clears throat> truth wouldn't be an issue if it wasn't for sin. And so what we see is the unrighteous that are wanting to discredit the righteous, the holy, the precious. And so that's what it's talking about, you know, and so it's for those that the wrath of God is um, reserved for. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And so basically what he's saying is even people that deny, <clears throat> God doesn't believe in atheism. He doesn't believe in the atheist because everyone, God has been revealed to them. What they do is they chose, they choose whether they're going to believe it or not. And so we have, we have people talking about, you know, I'm an atheist. You know, it's always amazing to me that atheists curse in the name of God. Well, why would you do that if there's no God? Well, you know, why, why, why do you curse in the name of something that, that doesn't exist? You know, use some of the body functions or something like that. You know, that makes sense. But to use the name of God when you don't believe in God makes absolutely no sense. You know, it's an, it's an amazing thing. People that don't believe in God, all of a sudden in a crisis, yeah. they cry out to God. Why? Because they know in their heart, they know in their, their innermost parts that there's a God. Why? Because all creation shows it. You know, they deny it. They write books about it. They might write theses about it. They write all of this stuff to, to discredit God and say that God is not real. But when push comes to shove, they're having to deny what they already know within them, that God is real, because all of creation reveals, and that's what that's talking about. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And so he's not withheld it from anybody. It's to be seen by all. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Well, I never heard about God. They don't have an excuse. Well, you know, I grew up in a home that didn't, didn't talk about God. You don't have an excuse. You know, people talk about um, their church being um, the wilderness or whatever. Well, I can get critical of them, but there's an element of truth in that. Because oftentimes when you're out in those spaces, you, you see God. Like you don't, I remember, I don't know how many years ago, we were out in Oregon, and they took us up um, this mountain, and they wanted to show us this lake, it was Glacier Lake, and uh, we're going up a mountain to see a lake. We're, we're you know, it's, it's during probably this time of the year, but, you know, they still got the the poles along the road that, that are 20 feet high that are just with a flag on top so that when they push snow they can know where the side of the road is. That's how high up on that mountain we were going. And so we get up to the top of this mountain and, and you can't see anything because you're on top of this mountain. And all of a sudden we get out and we walk up and we look over the edge of this old volcano and we see Glacier Lake. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't want to sound weird, but I, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. I mean, to me, like East o West Okoboji is a beautiful lake, especially when you see it from the air and you see the blue and so forth. Didn't have, un could not compare it. It was like something I'd never seen before. It was the purest of the pure I'd ever seen. It just, it almost took your breath away. That's what creation does. And that's what we see in God. And that's what he's saying, that an individual that says they never had an opportunity, they had an opportunity. They just didn't choose God. For this invisible, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Notice where it takes place. It takes place in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, that's what happens. We become foolish in our thinking or futile in our thinking. We begin to think contrary to what we, we really experience, what we really see. And it says that our hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise. <laughs> Doesn't that describe people of the day? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Let me tell you, the most foolish thing that anybody can ever do in their entire lifetime is to reject Jesus. Claiming to be wise, claiming to know more than God, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Isn't it amazing what people will worship? We have this magnificent God that created all the world, but yet we have a whole segment of society because of their view of religion and so forth. They starve to death because they can't kill a cow because it might be Aunt Sally. <laughs> That's the truth. So we have, a, we have a nation that is in starvation. You wanna, you wanna talk about a ploy of the devil? You know, we laugh, but you know, it, it makes me mad. There are children starving to death in India, in Thailand, because they don't have food. You got all this burger on the hoof roaming around, but nobody will eat it because of reincarnation. We have, we have people that are worshiping some golden image that has a belly that most of us men would do anything for. Made of gold. I remember being in Bangkok. We went and we saw the biggest, the, the largest Buddha in Bangkok. The thing is huge and it's gold. I, I, I doubt if it's gold, solid gold. It's probably gold plated. But you know what? It's right in the middle of an area that is Total poverty. Children running around on the streets naked and malnourished. But they got this big stupid gold statue sitting there that everybody comes and bows down to and they give their last of whatever to. It's ridiculous. It's foolish. But that's what, that's what happens when we don't have God. That's what happens when we choose the things of the world. 
We have people in this country, the stuff that they worship, there is absolutely zero eternal value to any of it. But yet they give their life to it. They give their life for it. And uh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Amen. But I mean, it ought to irritate us. We look at, oh, those, those, those silly people. Well, those silly people are costing souls. It's making the lives of children and individuals miserable in this life. And they leave them without hope in the eternity to come. Because even they are without excuse. Well, what about the Africans? What about the people in Indonesia? What about the people, you know, in, in these third world countries? They, they hadn't had a chance to hurt here. Creation itself cries it out. We, we serve a God of mercy. And it's his not, not his will for any to perish, but for all to come to the knowledge of truth. And he's given us creation to be able to look at. Look what it says in Psalms 19, 1 through 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Whose voice? The voice of the heavens. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big outdoors guy. But, you know, when you see that full moon and it's, it's coming over the horizon and it just, you, you look at that, I look at that and I think, how can there not be a God? You know, for anybody affiliated with medicine, I mean, how can you see a baby come into this world and see those perfect hands and perfect feet and those little little face and, and, and how everything takes place. How can there not be a God? Creation itself, everything about it shows us, reveals to us that there has to be a God. There is no other way for this world that we see, for the things around us to be. It's not going to happen by chance. You know, we're going to celebrate on Saturday my grandson's birthday and you know you, you, you get around those perfect little beans and you know that there had to be a mighty God to create something this perfect that it that it's an absolute impossibility that that happened by chance that's what we have to be convinced of you know worldly wisdom I, I <clears throat> I don't know why this isn't on the screen, but in case you didn't have your Bibles, I've got that in your, in your notes. And so, how is it, how is the wisdom of the world described in this passage? Just some, just some things to think about as you go along. And uh, we don't have time to go through it tonight. And uh, so, uh, Guess you won't get to go through it unless you got the book because it might be in the book, I don't know. But, but just, you know, some thoughts as you're reading through 1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, the 18th verse. How is, how is the wisdom of the world described in the passage to get you thinking? Why has God chosen uh, to communicate the gospel in the way he has? Well, I believe one of the key reasons that he does it the way that he has is because we have to receive it by faith. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's foolishness to the world. But does it teach about the wisdom of God? Uh, how do these truths influence the way that we relate to people who deny God's existence? You know what? 
You can't convince anybody that God's real. Ever try to do that? You, you can't. All you can do is share with them what the scripture says. And for them to be able to look at God's wonderful creation and know that, uh, that it's real. That God is real. And anybody that will truly sit down and consider creation, the parts of it, the, and man, they have to come to the realization that God is, God is real. While your little critters are on the loose, and so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be at peace, have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you Sunday if not before.